welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Today we'll talk about hope, and I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah 49. We'll look there for uh, a bit. Uh, I'll start by saying this. Humans are hardwired for certain things. There are certain things within us that are just a part of the human experience. It doesn't matter where you go, what human you ask, what culture they're from, what color their skin is. Like, you will always find humans searching for things like love, for intimacy, um, the sort of primal drive that we have to reproduce ourselves as humans. Uh, food, the security of food. So doesn't matter where you go, you'll find humans always searching for those things, love, sex, food. Uh, science and research would say that there are things you might add to that list, one of them being community, relationships, like the ability to relate to another human being. There was a study that was done, kind of fascinating actually, University of Virginia, this psychologist, and he got these He got people in a room, and there were three subjects in the study. One was the patient, one was a stranger, and one was the friend of the patient. Okay, you follow? I've got the shells. Do you see which ones are which? So what they did was they they looked at MRI, so magnetic resonance imaging of the brain, when um, very, very low levels of electric shock were given to each of the three people. Uh, it seems a, a bit cruel, I know, but uh, for the sake of science, these people, it's like, hey, do you want to participate in a study and get shocked for us? It's like, yes, let's do that. If it will pay for rent, I will do it. Um, so they did this, and uh, here's what they found. Under, uh, when, when, the, when the patient was given this sort of electric shock, uh, the, the regions of their brain that were responsible for threat uh, or the response to being threatened kind of lit up, right? One might imagine this to be true. Then they, they, they applied the same thing to the, the stranger of the friend and the, the, or the, the patient, and they knew that this was happening and uh, watched the brain imaging for the patient, and nothing really happened. There was really no registering of any sort of emotion or anything that happened in, in the patient's brain when electric shock was applied to a stranger. But when it was applied to their friend, does anybody guess what might have happened? This is fascinating what they found. The brain activity of the patient was essentially identical to the activity that was displayed when there was a threat to their self. So when it was applied to their friend, the same exact response happened in the brain of the patient. Here's the the payout on this. The, The researcher says this. The correlation between self and friend was remarkably similar. The finding shows that the brain's remarkable capacity to model self to others. Essentially, the people close to us become a part of us. We are all interconnected. It's not just a good pop song. Anybody know that one? We are all interconnected. No? No, you, you got to find that one. Google that. We're all interconnected. Look it up. You'll be like, oh, that's a great song, Micah. Now I get it. Um, The point being, we're wired for this, to be connected to one another, to be in relationship with one another. And I would submit to you this morning that hope is no different. You, me, the human down the street, across the Mediterranean, on the other side of the globe, on the underside of the world, it's all the same. That we're actually hardwired for hope, something in us. Uh, Hope, as defined by Google's and Merriam-Webster, is this. It's a transitive verb, in case you were wondering. Uh, It means to desire with expectation of obtainment, to expect with confidence. 
What do you desire with the expectation that it will be fulfilled? It's what you hope for. That's hope. When we don't have it as humans, we suffer. Emotionally, spiritually, on all levels, we suffer because we're hardwired for it. It's part of who we are. Hope is what starts revolutions. Hope is what is at the center of insurrections. Hope is what gets people through Auschwitz and cancer in Rwanda. Hope is what makes little boys and girls circle the page numbers in the Sears catalog. Now I'm talking, right? You remember this. Page 199. I was 10. It was a remote control car. It was blue, black, and white. I broke it on the first day I had it. I just, I mean, I broke all the, you know, extremities off it. She still ran, but, the, you know, the pretty little feathers and the tail, you know, the little tail piece and all that smashed it to pieces. But, man, that thing was awesome. Love that car. Hope is what makes us do these things. Hope is quintessential to the human experience. It is essential. And, you know, even Hunger Games gets this one. Um, If you want to watch this, you might remember it. Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? Hope. Hope? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine, as long as it's contained. So? So, contain it. I love Donald Sutherland's just like low-grade annoyance, right? But he's right. Hope is a dangerous thing. When it catches fire, you cannot contain it. It's like a mockingjay out of the cage. Bam! (laughs) And all of you Hunger Game haters, just stop. Just join the bandwagon. Don't be such a hipster and just watch the movie, okay? It's really, really good. I've read all the books and I'm proud to say so. Uh, recently, the students went on a Hunger Games uh, movie outing, and I, I've, I've, I've come out of retirement as a youth pastor. Lynn, how you doing? Lynn was my assistant when I, was, when I first came to Minnesota, like a long time ago, 12 years ago. And uh, we, we, we worked it out in the trenches with students. I had retired, but I came out of retirement last Saturday and went to the Mall of America with a bunch of kids. That's the last time I'm going to do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But it's present in all the great films, all the great movies, right? Do you guys remember Shawshank Redemption? Remember that one? Oh, one of the best, one of the greatest. If you can get through the blood and the violence and the swearing, it's awesome. Uh, there's this great scene where Andy Dufresne, he's the main character. He, they're in prison, and he locks, the, he locks the warden door and locks the, the guard in the bathroom. And then he plays this uh, Italian opera over the speakers of Shawshank Prison. And it's like this sort of moment where this bird rises up out of the cage and soars and all these prison inmates are sort of captivated by these, these women's voices. And reflecting on that, he says this. He says, that's the beauty of music. They can't get it from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? And this other character, Red, he's one of the, the narrator. He says, I played harmonica, but I guess I, I don't see the use for it in here. And Dufresne says, this is where it makes the most sense. You need it so that you don't forget. And Red says, forget what? And he says this, one of the best lines in the movie. Forget that there are places in the world that are not made of stone. So that that there's something inside of you that they can't get to, that they can't touch, that's yours. Hope. 
It's what it is. So today we consider hope. We, I want to look at it in terms of the scriptures. And like I said, this is a difficult one for me to, to, to prep for. So I want to just offer some of my reflections on hope as I got ready for this morning. So Isaiah 49, I would start by saying it this way. Uh, someone else and, or something else is holding it all together. I've been doing this pastor thing long enough to know, and sometimes I forget, I sort of lull myself to sleep by sort of the, the routine of doing this weekly thing that we do called church. I forget that when we gather, there is, it's all here. I think about all the experiences of humanity and all the ups and the downs, the, the highs and the lows, the triumphs and the absolute terror and, and horrible things. It's, it's all present when we gather on Sundays. And I'm always blown away by that. So I don't know how you walk in this morning, but can I just offer the possibility that hope says that somebody else, something else, is holding it all together. That it doesn't, it's not you, it can't be you, and it doesn't have to be you. If you follow the story of the scriptures, in particular the story of Israel in the Old Testament, there's this bizarre relationship that they have with Yahweh, with, with God. You find in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Psalms and this other obscure little book called Micah, you find that Israel often is sort of whining and complaining and sort of they have this like, why God, how long will you wait? How long and when will you come back? And how long will the righteous you know, be oppressed and the wicked prosper? And when will you come back and sort of kick them out and do all that you will do? Restore mercy and justice. And it's this, this back and forth, back and forth. How long, when? This longing. And this is how Isaiah 49 begins. Isaiah speaking on behalf of Israel. How long, God? How, why is the, the wicked prospering and us, the, the righteous, were, were being oppressed? And Yahweh answers in verse 80, says this. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and will find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them, speaking of himself, Yahweh, will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all the mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, from the north. Some will come from the west. Some will come from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and have compassion on the afflicted ones. Now skip to verse 23. The second half of verse 23, Yahweh says this, Then you will know, after I do all of this, then you will know, I am the Lord, and those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Nobody's disappointed this morning, right? Everything has worked out the way that you thought it would. Your marriages, your children, your jobs, You've got it all together, right? No need for anybody else. You can hold it all. You can juggle it all. You can keep the pieces together. Of course, I'm speaking... What's that? A, uh, what do they call that? Rhetorical question? I remember I had this teacher in sixth grade. You know, sixth graders. Mrs. Burroughs. 
sixth graders, they don't get rhetorical questions. And she'd, you know, in a rant, you know, you've got it all together, don't you? That's a rhetorical question. Do not answer it. I guess I would just say to you this morning, take joy that there's somebody else who holds it all together and you don't have to keep all the balls up and the plates spinning. And despite whatever hopes and dreams you had that didn't happen, the scriptures tell a story of a God who says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. And that's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? And I offer it to you again today for your consideration. I would say maybe also that hope says that this is not the end. Uh, last year, I, I shared a little bit about, I'm not going to preach the whole sermon, I sh- but I want to pull one thread from last year because I think it's spot on. There's a guy named Heraclitus. He was a philosopher long, long, long ago. Uh, he said this, this idea that you can never step in the same river twice. The idea being that life, our lives are in a constant state of motion. And he would say that, that everything comes into being and leaves this world through this process of war or strife. And that it's all sort of entropy, right? I think that's one of the laws of thermodynamics or something. That everything is breaking down. Everything is sort of slowing down. And without something pushing it up the hill, it will all go downhill. You, me, everything around us. And Heraclitus argues that this is the world that we live in. This is, this is our experience. We live, we die, we turn to dust, and that's it. There's nothing more. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Thank you, Dave Matthews and others who were a lot smarter and smoked less weed. <laughs> right? Like, that's it. And so today, you choose. Like, here it is. It's Coke or Pepsi. It's cats or dogs. It's this option. This is all there is. This is our life. We eat, we, we were born, we live, we die, we turn to dust, and that's all. Or something else. That something, somewhere along the way, despite that which happened in the beginning, there is a new variable that has been entered into the equation that changes everything. That says this is not the end. That death does not win. And that there is more. There have been many, many a day when I have been found, literally, I I joke a lot and I tell lots of stories and I exaggerate a little, but literally I have been found on my kitchen floor many a day. Like the darkness is that dark, right? The line from Natalie's. When it just seems like it is all closing in on you. And this song is on my iPad, it's on my phone, it's on my computer, it's on, like, it is always ready at the push of a button. Because for me, this song is an anthem that says, it's the one crazy, bonkers, sold-out soldier person who runs out into the battlefield alone on the hill and puts the flag on the ground and says, no. And so I just play it over and over and over again on those days. So I want you to listen to it. We're going to dim the lights. 
The drums are amazing, so if you were thinking, too bad we didn't have drums today, we've got drums. Uh, and I want you just to consider this, that hope says this is not the end. Listen. close this morning, and I would love to read something um, that I have been reading by a guy named Frederick Beekner, if you've heard of him. Uh, interesting last name, great author. Uh, Hope says that um, something, someone else is holding it all together. Hope says that this is not the end. Hope, I would submit, and Beekner would say, Hope is why you're here. For thousands of years, humans have gathered in places like this. Well, maybe not quite like this. <laughs> why? 
What drives you here? What brings you back? What is it? I would say it's hope. Beekner says it this way. Ministers and congregation both, they came to church year after year. And who's to say, if at all, their lives were changed as a result? If you'd stopped and asked them on any given Sunday, I suspect that they would say they weren't changed much. Yet they kept on coming anyway. And beneath all the lesser reasons they had for doing so, so far beneath that they themselves were only half aware of it, I think there was a deep reason. And if I could give only one word to characterize that reason, the word I would give is hope. They came here, the awkward boys and shy girls, to get married and stood with their hearts in their mouths and their knees knocking to mumble their wild and improbable vows in these very shadows. They came to christen their babies here, carried them in their long white dresses, hoping that they wouldn't scream bloody murder when the minister took them in his arms and signed their foreheads with a watery cross. They came here to bury their dead, and they brought in, along with the still-finished bodies, all of the most unstill, unfinished love, guilt, sadness, relief that are a part of what death always is for the living. In other words, what they were doing, essentially, beneath this roof was offering up the most precious moments of their lives in the hope that there was a God to hallow them. A God to hear and seal their vows, to receive their children into his unimaginable kingdom, to raise up and cherish their dead. I see them sitting here, generations of them. They're a little uncomfortable in their Sunday best, with their old faces closed like doors and their young faces blank as clapboards. But deep within those faces, farther down than their daydreams or their boredom, and way beyond any horizon of their wandering minds that they could describe, there was a hope that somewhere, Out of all these words, all this music, all this silence, out of a mystery even greater than the mystery of the cosmos itself, that there would be a voice that they would know from all the other voices who would speak their names and bless them. I think hope is why we're here. Because desperately, we need someone else to hold it all together. Without it, we destroy each other. Think about all the ways in human history where hope is not present, the horrible things that happen. Because desperately, deep, deep inside of us, we know and long for and need this to not be all that there is. So today, as we travel towards Christmas and this experience of Advent where we wait and we anticipate, so 
today I invite you to consider the arrival of hope. God, as we wonder and think about, consider the complexities of our lives and the ways in which things happen or don't happen or fall apart or succeed, we, I think if we're honest, come to the point where we recognize that we need something bigger, greater, deeper, higher, wider than we are and that we can hold. And so I thank you for this story of all stories, this story that is the source of all good stories, that the God who made the world that we live in loves us dearly so much that you came to us and said, here I am, and here you are, and you're going to be okay. I'm going to make a way, and I know the way home, and you're not lost. Just follow me. I'll lead you back, back to a garden where there's delight. So God, we, with trembling knees and shaking voices, we say yes. We will follow you. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community. Or on Twitter, and we community. See you next time.